Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Welcome back. You're listening to America This Week. I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor for America, and I am joined by Father Matt Malone, our Editor-in-Chief, and Antonio Delaware Bruce, one of our Joseph A. O'Hare Fellows at America. And we are speaking with another one of our own, senior editor, J.D. Long Garcia. He came to us from uh, the Angeles, out of Los Angeles, and uh, prior to that, the Catholic Sun, the newspaper of the Diocese of Phoenix. So welcome to the show, J.D. Thank you. It's great to be here. We are really glad to have you. Uh, Now, you have written a piece called What Life is Like on the U.S.-Mexico Border, which can be found, like the other pieces, at americanmagazine.org slash serious. And... You went to the border to tell this story. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it, it was a real blessing to be able to spend that much time working on this piece. And, uh, um, and you can read it online. You can also read it in print. It's, it's, it's kind of a long piece, you know. But, um, but it was a real blessing. to. I've been doing a lot of reporting on the border throughout my career um, for the last 15 years. And so to go, go back to some of these places and revisit in the context of the current political climate, and to really get an update of what life is like down on the border, uh, uh, it was I don't know it's a real blessing, especially to to go back and see um, how much of the of the border already had some sort of a a barrier set up, um, which I think is a um, something that's not very well understood. Right. Well, that's I think that's one of the lovely things about your piece is that you really are able to describe that how much life is on the border, right? How many people come to the border, cross the border, and do so on a on a daily basis. There's and it's not just a place um, kind of of peril, but also of joy, which and and hope in some ways that um, I found I found really fascinating. Yeah, I um, it, you know it's funny just li- uh, listening to your conversation before about uh, the the Pope's apostolic exhortation. I think that there's uh, there's something about the way that Latinos live their faith that it's very much every day, and uh, you know the, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is everywhere. Um, and it's around people wear it around their necks and everything, and so. Um, but but also there's this uh, celebration. I think the the encuentro, the quinto encuentro, that we're going through right now also recognizes that that the Latinos are a people that celebrate, um, and there's joy in that. Um, yeah. So then you know, <clears throat> excuse me. The on the border there's there's towns that used to be one town, and then they they built a, a wall between that town. You know and. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think is important to recognize is that much of the Southwest used to be part of Mexico, right. you know, and so there's there's people that lived there at one time that you know, one day they were Mexican and then the next day they were, uh, you know, American They're, or you you U S citizens or uh, or whatever, um, and they didn't move, but the border did. Um, so that's definitely still there. You can still recognize how there's a a continuity between these border towns like in Ciudad Juarez and El Paso, you have, um, you know, people have families on both sides of the border. So what was the thing that had changed the most in the years between your uh, penultimate visit and this visit? That's a great question. I, um, it's difficult to, to identify. I think that there's a lot of the what I would describe as anti-immigrant sentiment in the in our political discourse mm-hmm. that it's resonating a lot with with people there. Um, I the 
over the years, over the last 15 years, the... I mean, it's like registering in their consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think there, there's a fear there. I spoke with some people who had been in the process of being deported. They were detained seven months or more. Uh, and that, that's a long time just to wait to be deported. Um, so there's a... That seems to be something that's happening systematically where they're being detained for more time to make it more of a punishment. Um, and uh, but there's also the the kinds of immigrants, um, if I could say it that way. They're from the the countries of origins are have changed over that period of time, where there's a lot more from Central America today, and with the improving economy in Mexico, fewer Mexican Im- immigrants were coming. So um, so yeah, so I, I, th- those are some things. There's also a lot more being done from on the humanitarian front, which is very encouraging. There's a lot of uh, outreach that's being done for migrants there, and that's grown over the years, especially yeah, in Tijuana. Described a number of these ministries really that are set up in really fascinating ways for people who are deported <laughs> back to Mexico and are trying to maybe set up a life there, or um, people who are being ministered to on on either side. So, can you tell us a bit about how these organizations work and what their sort of mission is and who they serve? Yeah, the um, there's. There's a number of them. The um, I went to the Desayunador Padre Chava in Tijuana, and uh, they, they, like the name indicates, they have breakfast there. Um, so um, every day they have breakfast, and and they uh, they serve 800 to 1,000 people every day, which is really amazing. Um, and and the, those people are coming from the, where they're, they're deported, uh, either recently deported or or um, that means they don't have a the place on breakfast so they come so there's people in Tijuana if you can imagine for the for the person who spends in many cases their life savings or more than their life savings to to try to make it to the United States and then they're uh, and they're deported and that's that's kind of a hopeless situation so unfortunately a lot of them end up turning to drugs and so there's also an outreach for them there um, and then along with breakfast, you know, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like some of our, um, in ministry with our teen programs, you offer people food and then you can do more for them, you know? So they show up for the pizza and then, you know, you get a little catechism too. Um, but so then they show up for breakfast and then, you know, they help them get jobs and they, they give them counseling. Uh, there's, uh, maybe you can get like a haircut there and lots of things that really restored their dignity, a dignity that's been stripped away from them in a way, not actually, but you know. Right. the way they've been treated. What do you think is the biggest misperception about what's happening? Uh, the thing that you would you would want our listeners who may be in Chicago to know about this story? Well, I I think that the, just to see everyone as individuals, I, I, I think that that's might, might maybe too simple to say, but we the the way that the that we speak in broad categories about about human beings and that they're all this way or that way or the other way. I think there's this, this you know, if I could say this bad hombre idea yeah. that the people who are coming here are up to no good. It's just, it's false. And when you, when you listen to the people and you listen to their stories and what's motivating them, um, and it really does break, break it down. And, and I think that just the the other idea is that people are coming here in order to live off our, off the system. It's completely wrong. Also, the um, something that's said very often, but not unfortunately not in our political sphere, is that people have a right not to migrate. Also, so that they would want to. These people really want to stay home. They love their country. They love their culture. They love their language, uh, and they don't want to come to the United States. The situation that's 
in a sense, squeezing them out. It's, it's terrible. Right. And yeah, you sp- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in the United States, really much actually depends on them, right? I mean, we were just talking about American agriculture, um, and American agriculture would absolutely collapse without uh, immigrants who continue to do most of the hard work. Right. There are a lot of really nice um, sort of personal stories of people that really humanize this whole experience in the piece. And one that really struck me was of a gentleman who was living with his family, with his wife and his daughter, I believe, up in in Seattle, Washington, and who had been deported and who was just kind of like coming to the border to like look over into the land where his wife and daughter were. And it's just so heartbreaking to think about because he, they had gone down with him to, is it Tijuana, I think, where he was living? Uh, or wherever wherever they were, and tried, you know, tried, because I think a lot of people say, like, oh, well, just, you should all go together then, stay as a family, but it was too dangerous, right? It was too dangerous for her and for their, their child, and they had to go back to the U.S. They were U.S. citizens, and it it's just so heartbreaking to hear stories like that where, you know, families really, really are being torn apart, and it's not just you know, oh, a logistical, like, oh, it would be too hard to move down. They they tried this, and it it doesn't work. Yeah, I, there was a, I was, I went to the, there's in, in Tijuana, you can see the the barrier. I, I, it, I used to call it a wall until apparently, we, you know, we need a new one, I guess, but right. uh, it, it, it looks pretty big and uh, insurmountable, <laughs> but it goes straight into the Pacific Ocean there, um, so it's you know, even difficult to swim around it. So, it's, how far out does it go? Uh, I mean, I don't really get a distance. As I would say, it like goes maybe fifty. Yeah, it goes out. I'd say maybe over fifty yards. Uh-huh. And there's obs- there's signs there that say obstacles under the water too. So, mm-hmm. um, it's and border patrol patrols the beaches in Southern California mm-hmm. quite a ways up too. So it, it's not easily crossable. Yeah, and that's another place where I mean, on on the U.S. side, there used to be a place where people would sunbathe right on the other side. Now that's completely shut down, and it's 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 empty space um, for the most part. But um, so I went I went down there to um, to see people and to sort of see what life was like. And then, you know, I saw these um, some younger girls taking selfies with the with the border in the background. And then um, this gentleman has who's walked up, um, and he was barefoot, and he walked up to the the border and you know something different was going on and um you know introvert me is like oh boy i'm gonna need to talk to this guy <laughs> um and um uh so you know what do you say like you know um it seems, seems like intrusive but right. he was very happy to talk to me and tell me share a story with me and his photos in our and uh, the, the current issue and on the online um but just about just that what you were saying carrie that you know he he was in Seattle, Washington, and he was deported, and his family came with him, and um, including his newborn at that time was six months old, and uh, he hasn't seen her uh, in in months, and uh, and he was sort of looking over the border and said, you know, I I think that trying to cross, even if I lose my life, would be better than being separated from my family. Right. And uh, and it, it was just heartbreaking for. You know, if you're a father, wherever you're from, and to be separated from your child like that, um, I mean, you can really understand that. And uh, and in his case, uh, what what he told me it wasn't that it was a serious criminal offense. It was that um, that that he had uh, that he was in the country without papers. Right. So it isn't that he broke like a um, another kind of you know I don't know 
I, I don't know. <laughs> there's a hierarchy of law breaking or whatever, but um, for the most part, it used to be that people in those in that situation weren't deported. Right. He was right. leading, you know, like a law-abiding life in the U.S. Uh, other than the way he had gotten there. Right. Yeah. And I think you know, it, if if we're going to change the conversation around this, it's so important to humanize it, as you say, and uh, to personalize it to give people a sense that. There are individuals, there are families, there are real human beings behind these statistics, behind this debate. Um, so I, I also think that we have to find ways, those of us who you know are in lockstep with the church on this issue, need to find ways to reach people who are, 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 are moderate on, on this question and, and try, to, try to bring them uh, to a different way of seeing it. So I guess what I have in mind here is, and I know these people, I'm sure you know some of these folks too, that uh, the, the, the person who you know doesn't buy into the craziness of the rhetoric and, and all of that, but it's, is a reasonable person, doesn't understand themselves to be xenophobic in some way, and says, well, you know, immigration is okay, but why can't we have a wall? And why can't people come here legally and we do it in an orderly way? How do, how do we respond to that? I mean, I think, you know, the the church teaches that nations have a have a right to secure their borders, but I think that, you know, children have a right to their parents, too. And our current immigration laws just don't recognize that right. And for, you know, really millions of people in the United States are living in a state of absolute fear, and they don't have an opportunity to try to rectify their situation or to seek legal status and a path to citizenship. And that is the core, the, the kind of the foundational injustice that I, leads to all these individual tragedies. And until we reckon with that problem, our an enforcement-based approach is only going to cause more pain. Uh, and I think you know there there are people who are reasonable who uh, disagree, but I think that really, as as you mentioned, emphasizing the 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 real individual cost and the the real individual cost to Americans, right? It's it's U.S. behind the story of this man in Tijuana who misses his daughter, there's an American girl in Washington who misses her father. Right. So I think that, you know, we, we have to question um, what are the what are what are our obligations to to those people as as a U.S. citizens. So what you're saying is it, to if we can imagine that person again, you might be saying to them, you know, to, to focus almost you know, so dramatically on border security is is to focus on the wrong solution to the wrong problem right mm-hmm. well and we're also much less open these days to you know asylum seekers and refugees people who are coming illegally yes but because they are in literal mortal danger elsewhere right their lives have perhaps been completely like undone where they are their neighborhoods might be dangerous some people have to you know pay gangs to go in and out of their own neighborhoods right and they're looking for a different life and the UN right has in their uh, convention on refugees has prohibited asylum seekers from being detained just simply for seeking asylum. And I'm not sure we're even really abiding by that. So I think what some people, uh, I'm I'm not sure what we're doing as sort of a a daily basis as a nation is really within that sort of reasonable element anymore. It's, It's really going to an extreme level where people who are coming for asylum as refugees are being turned away and they really have they have a right as declared by the UN to come here and to to try to stay and what if the, and 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 but what what if, what if this person says but isn't there already some kind of 
fencing along the border? I mean, don't isn't th- th- there's there's already something that is that 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 separates, right? So why not make it better? Why not have a wall? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that the 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 barrier. Someone who I interviewed actually said said as much as that. It, it's what the the barrier represents a division uh-huh. between peoples, uh, and to to strengthen that division, it's it, it's I mean, it's unreal. Basically, it's an illusion because we're connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, the we're, the global economy is connected. We're connected to Mexico. We're connected as the Americas. Um, and the other thing I would say, um, in addition to, this is something that Father Malone, you've mentioned in your writing, and Antonio, you've mentioned in yours too, is just like the, the great gift of people that come to this country. Yeah. Like it's, we, we see it as a negative thing, and oh, this is a burden to this country. But people have been coming to this country from other places for, for the, the entire history of this, of right. the United States. So, um, and this is a, it's and a blessing. And what an indispensable part of the economy they are at a practical level, That's right. to Antonio's point. Yeah. yeah, and I think as Catholics, I mean, this is a, this is something to celebrate because they're they're bringing these are people that have our values you mm-hmm. know that are coming here and these are Christians that are coming to to partake in who we are as a society and and to continue if I can call it an evolution but we we've always changed and developed with time and and they're and they're coming to contribute there and I, I mean I think it's something to be celebrated not something to be feared and I think the wall underestimates the uh, drive of people who are in a desperate situation and need to get out, particularly people acting on behalf of their children or behalf of their family, walls can't stop them, right? That's, it's, I think in that respect, it's, it's ineffective because mm-hmm. if there's a wall, there will come a different way, right? That's, yeah. it, and so it's a huge amount of resources that could be put into either helping nation build in the countries where people need help or helping... Uh, established lives for people here in the U.S. or helping with poverty or whatever, anything uh, that is going into a wall that in the end is a terrible right. symbol of our nation and is probably largely ineffective. I, yeah. yeah, and I, I think that, that, that is, that's a very compelling uh, way of talking about it from in, in my mind. And because it seems to me that, yes, it's the wrong solution to the wrong problem. Yes, it's an enormous waste of resources, but it's, sim- it's symbolic value is uh is 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 really destructive of comedy and 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 human relationships and what's so interesting to me is that at the at the height of the cold war in berlin we understood this symbol in exactly the opposite way right as <laughs> something that did precisely what the way you described this wall uh the way that that you described this symbol functioning right that it 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 we, 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 there shouldn't be a wall, and I mean, Mr. Gorbachev, tear, tear down this wall, right? Because it's, it's separating families from one another, it's separating people from one another, it's it's literally, you know, dividing a, a town in half, uh, like Nagalas. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, um, I, I was thinking along the same same um, on that wavelength too. It's something that we celebrated in the United States when the Berlin Wall came down, yeah. uh, and now we're building one up instead of. I think it would be a beautiful thing to be talking about. When are we going to tear the existing wall down right. uh, between the U.S. Mexico border, and uh, and really that would that would indicate where where we are going as a nation. Um, that there's a, I think that there's a fear. I mean, I, I also think we need to recognize the people who who are um, who do believe that their wall should be built and, and try to be in dialogue with them to try to better understand where they're coming from uh, and to set aside what fears might be driving that. 
to be a wall to be built, but um, but it's a it's a it's a barrier that we need to overcome right. as a, in the United States. In fact, if I were the president of Mexico, I would go there on the anniversary of Reagan's speech in Berlin, and I would say, "Mr. Trump, tear down this wall." <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Father Pat had a quote. Uh, Father Pat is someone you you cite in the article who I also met through uh, my service in Tijuana, um, who runs this shelter for deportees in Tijuana, and he has a, you quote him as saying. I worry more about the wall that Trump is creating around people's hearts mm. than the physical uh, barrier. And I think that, you know, in, as a practical thing, you know, no matter how tall you build a border wall, people will, will find a way. If people could get out of East Berlin, if people yep. today can flee North Korea, there is no amount of troops or walls or barbed wire or even minefields that you can put that will overwhelm, you know, the pursuit of happiness that that constant human desire to seek better or to flee really terrible situations um but i i really think it's it's the symbolism of it you know as a mexican-american it's a it's a real symbol of ugliness for me in a way where i see my country building a wall against my people and i think there's there's a there's a wound there that's not just at the border that's within our church you know if you look at the the 2016 uh catholic vote White Catholics went for Trump and Latino Catholics went for Clinton. So there is there is some some healing that needs to, to happen because I think that's that's there's a wall in, you know, between Spanish mass and English mass in a way. Right. And that's why I think it's so important that the church be in the middle of this debate the way that it is and 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 leading the conversation about it, because we were talking earlier in the program about, you know, the importance of theological uh, symbols in the public discourse. And, you know, this the the Eucharist is precisely that which transcends borders, right? When Pope Francis was asked, are you going to visit the border when you go to Mexico? He said, what border? There is no border, right? God, in the eyes of God, there's no border here, right? And uh, and when I think of the, the, the Catholic bishops who gathered around the border and, had, and shared the Eucharist across the border, that those are really important moments where we, uh, well, we see as people of faith what God intends, but even if you're not a person of faith, you you get a glimpse of the, I, I would hope the world that you would you would want to live in. That's right. Yeah, and I think that the if I can say that uh, the greater reality is that uh, we are all the same. So we have like you know there's no Gentile or Jew in heaven, and there's no Americans either. You know yeah. we're all the same people when we're in communion with with God. Yeah, and one of the beautiful images of that I think is that Friendship Park, which you write about there, where people are allowed to visit with friends and family from across the border for increasingly short periods of time, it sounds like, but it sounds like one sort of point of right. physical reconciliation that's really beautiful. Friendship Park's a really magical place, but and and it was intended to to be kind of a park. Um, I, it was First Lady Pat Nixon, actually, who, who had it built, and we had this place called Friendship Park for the two countries to meet, and then we built a wall through it. So how's that for a metaphor? Mm. (laughs) speaking of symbols yeah um what do you think is this wall really going to be built do you think you know i it's i in when i was in ciudad juarez i was with father Mosier, and he's a colombian priest and a great guy he makes great coffee Uh, i mentioned that too (laughs) because it was really great coffee but anyway he mentioned a part of the of the wall he sort of signaled to it as we were driving by and he said you know oh that we just finished building that that part that part of the barrier right there and it was part of a um, i think a 2006 bill that president bush had signed and you know i mean that's 
but it's 12 years ago and we're still building it. So um, I'm, I don't I don't think that it's going to happen. And if it is built, I think it'll just be built to be torn down. I, 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 it does seem like it's more symbolic, both um, both in political rhetoric and then in actuality as well. Yeah. Well, uh, the piece is called uh, What Life is Like on the U.S.-Mexico Border. It's by America's senior editor, J.D. Long Garcia. Uh, J.D., thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You know who really understood this power of this symbol is Ronald Reagan. I mean, he uh, and and he was able to apply it both to Berlin and to the southern U.S. border. Um, you know, he opposed building a wall on the southern U.S. border. And when he was running for president, he said, you know, rather than rather than talking about build, building walls, why don't we talk about bringing people into this country and having them share in the freedom and prosperity that uh, is America? Um, something has changed when uh, Reagan starts sounding like a liberal. <laughs> right. True. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we're, we will continue, of course, to uh, cover this story uh, extensively and uh, at americamagazine.org and in the pages of America. Uh, and uh, last night we launched a, a special initiative that's actually being overseen by uh, J.D., uh, looking at the future of the church in the United States with a particular eye to how to uh, integrate uh, Hispanic, Latino, Catholics more fully into ecclesial life. And uh, that's a really important uh, three-year initiative. Lots of content in our pages, on our website, events, and, and, and all the rest. And uh, so people should check that out, uh, the you Church in America. You can view the live stream of that on our site as well. You can, along with 1,000 other people. Yeah. That which was amazing. Uh, wonderful to lead a national conversation about that. You've been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. To learn more about all of these issues, visit americamagazine.org slash Sirius. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. And to subscribe to America, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Kerry Weber, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you, and good day. Thank you for listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.